0: the silver screen welcome back listeners to the third installment in our terminator movie review series today we are reviewing terminator 3 rise of the machines this is your co-host corbin and i'm alan and as we mentioned in the last podcast it took 12 years for this sequel to come an eternity in movie making land this is usually unprecedented for a sequel to take this long
1: yeah usually especially nowadays when you have a movie that does really really well in the box office you want to try and get that sequel out sequel as soon as possible so usually it's about two years three years usually if you're really lucky you can get it out in about a year um but yeah 12 years is a long long time and as we noted in the past podcast there were some um troubles getting that movie off the ground and finally being produced. And that seems to be the case with this one as well. When we get into that background info. So the Terminator series seems to have a very interesting history with, um, I guess, getting their projects up and running and then eventually produced.
0: And usually the fear of releasing a movie this far removed from its previous installments is that it won't do as well financially because it's fallen out of the public interest. People have grown up between now and then they didn't get to see it as a kid. They don't remember it. The adults are too old. Usually this doesn't work. And you could tell they were banking for the big bucks by releasing it July 2nd, 2003, right in that sweet spot of the summer blockbuster time.
1: Right. Yeah. Right in the middle of the summer blockbuster and not long, of course, a couple of days just before uh, the 4th of July. So, Yeah. yeah, I mean... I would say that it would be. I would say that it's. I guess a pretty good time to release a movie like this. It has been a while since we've seen the Terminator movies, um, in the theaters since '91. So I mean, it makes sense that they would release this movie maybe in the summer sometime, hopefully to gain more of a profit that way, than maybe releasing it any other time. Because I know when the first one was released, October, like uh, end of October.
0: Yes, their releases have kind of been all over the place. Yeah, yeah, they have. Now, I want to give our listeners just a flavor of what movie going was like in 2003. So, here is a list of films ranging from big blockbusters to movies probably younger kids would like, different demographics would like Kill Bill, Return of the King, Finding Nemo, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Elf, Matrix 2 and 3, Cheaper by the Dozen, Bad Boys 2, Daredevil, Too Fast, Too Furious, Bruce Almighty, The Room, Freaky Friday, Yeah, <laughs> Daddy Daycare, The Lizzie McGuire Movie, Agent Cody Banks, Sea Biscuit, and surprise, Bong Joon-ho's Memories of Murder.
1: That's right. The man who actually about a few weeks from this podcast, but just got four Oscars, Yeah, for a foreign language film. But but yeah, so yeah, the early 2000s were a very interesting time for film. Um, Now, when uh, Terminator 3 came out, it went up against Legally Blonde 2.
0: Yeah,
1: Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, (laughs) um, which that one was already uh, that one's in its second week. Number four was Finding Nemo, which was in there for six weeks. Um, and Hulk, I think that's Ang Lee's Hulk yes. that had been in for, looks like uh, three weeks. Mm. So doesn't look like there was a whole lot of competition, at least the week that it came out.
0: It's weird to think 4th of July weekend, this comes out and Legally Blonde 2 comes out, red, white yeah. and blonde, which I attempted to watch. I had seen it before, but I attempted to watch a couple months ago. Couldn't finish it off. <laughs> oh Now,
1: the second week was a bit of a different story because Pirates of the Caribbean came out that week. So, uh, obviously, that one's going to be in the box office number one for a while. So, Pirates was first, then League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was second. Both were released that week. And then Terminator 3 for its second week. So, it looks like it did okay in the box office in terms of its ranking, um, which... Honestly, I'm a little bit surprised by because of how long it's been since we've seen a Terminator movie. And Terminator 2, obviously, at this point, had been considered to be, you know, one of the greatest action movies of all time.
0: They chose the perfect weekend of release going up against Legally Blonde. Of course, this film is easily handily going to beat it, which it did by quite a bit. Now, as we just mentioned, the second week is a completely different story because, of course, A Johnny Depp starring vehicle with Orlando Bloom and Keira Knightley. Those three were huge at the time. Oh, yeah. They were in a lot of popular films and it's from Disney. It's based off a very old popular Disney attraction. It looks awesome. Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. I'm guessing word of mouth also didn't hype this movie up to the T2 levels. I'm no it's no surprise to me. Pirates kick this guy to the curb.
1: Oh yeah, and it makes sense too because Pirates of the Caribbean is PG thirteen, and Terminator three is rated R. So yes, that's true. That's also another leg that you know Pirates of the Caribbean and pretty much all of these movies have is their their MPAA rating, where uh, we've noted, and this is still the same thing back in the early two thousands. Something that is closer to all age range, all age ranges, is going to do much better in the box office than something that is that you can really only get into if you're seventeen years or older.
0: And also League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is PG-13 as well. Right. It looked pretty exciting. I know when I was, I don't know, eight or nine in 2003, I I thought the movie looked intriguing. Of course, I wasn't allowed to watch it because PG-13, not for an eight-year-old. Right. So it, those are two PG-13 movies that are widely more accessible. And I would say PG-13 was starting to become... Kind of king at the box office and that sweet spot Terminator 3 yeah. wasn't with the times. And as we'll see with Terminator Salvation, it's the first PG-13 film.
1: Right, right. Yeah, the ter- the PG-13 rating came out in 84 and it was around the early 2000s when I I guess you could say that um, studios began to realize how much market potential there is for that kind of a rating. And now pretty much every movie that's released is PG-13. That's a big blockbuster. You can't go very far uh, without finding a PG-13 movie that made almost a billion dollars in the box office, like Marvel does pretty much twice a year. So this budget, the budget for this movie was a little bit interesting because um, it had a little bit of issues um, with its um, copyright, Uh, long story short, The company that owned the copyright Co went out of business, they filed for bankruptcy and they were selling, they were liquidating the the company. And um, a few people wanted to buy it up, uh, James Cameron included. He wanted to grab 20th Century Fox and buy up uh, the Terminator franchise license. That never actually ended up happening. Um, To make a long story short, a couple of friends that Cameron knew bought up the availability of the Terminator series and hopes to take it and open up a new production company with it. Cameron was not very happy about this as they didn't tell him about that. Uh, Schwarzenegger refused initially to start a movie, Terminator movie without James Cameron directing it, but he eventually came back around. Um, so the budget for it was uh, 160 to $170 million, which at the time was considered to be one of the most expensive movies ever made. Um, but that. A budget soon kind of ballooned a little bit into 187.3 million for its Ooh. final budget, um, for various reasons, which still gives it the title of the most expensive film ever made at the time. Now, of course, today by today's standards, it's not necessarily near that. It's the uh, thing now is like 350 million or something like that is the most expensive movie. I think that's Pirates of the Caribbean: On Stranger Tides, if I'm not mistaken. So some of that went to paying off the Carlico de- debts and $30 million of that went to Schwarzenegger, which was a record high for him at the time.
0: And that's pretty interesting that despite James Cameron not coming back to the franchise, this is a whole new crew. Yeah. It still had the budget. It still received the budget that it has, and it still did as well as it did at the box office.
1: Right. I know last week we talked about T- T2 having a $95 million budget thereabouts. And that's what they were gunning for this time around. And then they had troubles getting that kind of funding. And then eventually they got that kind of funding when it was bought out. So this time it's, uh, when you look at the final budget, it's close to double of last time, mm-hmm. um, with how much money they have to spend on it.
0: Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, the last film's budget was the biggest budget ever at the time as well. Yeah, we talked about, you're right. and it looks like they beat their record here. Right. And... Uh, I did notice that domestically it did less than last time in the foreign markets. It did more than last time and worldwide. It did about $100 million less,
1: right? So, uh, yes. Yeah. So opening weekend, I got 44 million, which is okay. Domestically though, got 150.6 million foreign got 282.7 million with a worldwide total of 433 million. So. Still some pretty good money. Um, all things considered.
0: Yeah, it's still made back about would you say the budget was ultimately 180 million mm-hmm. and it did over 400 million. So all over it made more of a profit over half of its budget.
1: Yeah, so here's the most uh, interesting part to me though is it's scoring. So I've never really heard of Terminator 3 up until this review, I knew it existed, but it was just when you look at the Terminator franchise, it was either Terminator one or two, and then how much the how confusing the new series of Terminator movies is. Is the only thing that I really heard. Terminator three was really never talked about. Every time I heard the Terminator series brought up, um, but the scoring is interesting to me. I'm mean, to be at a six point three, which is kind of low, yes, but a meta score with of sixty six. Which is definitely in the green. Yeah, I was very surprised a little bit about interesting to me. too.
0: Yeah, I was surprised yeah. about that too. Considering, well, let's just call it out. Six point three is a insane drop. Somebody tied oh, a yeah. uh, rock around the legs of this movie and threw it off a cliff into the ocean. And yes, sunk. because
1: last time it's like what eight point six, I think Terminator
0: Two. Somewhere around there, and it's yeah. considered like the 37th greatest film of all time. Right, I checked this has never been on the IMDb top 250, but nevertheless, a 66 means it's received generally positive reviews. Um, yeah. and it's it's a you know in the clear, I think, to get mixed reviews, it would have to get around a 60, maybe a 58, 59 to get that yellow. Yeah. Um, it's it's in the clear so yeah people at the time actually thought this movie was pretty good and we're yeah. not giving our way our thoughts just yet maybe we will think so as well right
1: so here are a couple more scores cinema score at a B plus which is pretty pretty all right uh rotten tomato score was 69 percent. however the audience score for rotten tomatoes is at a 46 which is yeah. pretty low oh, yeah. um and then of course letterbox with a 2.6. So it from what I'm seeing Ouch. here, it looks like critics were more satisfied with this one than audiences were. Audiences didn't look to be too thrilled with Terminator 3.
0: No, audiences weren't filled with it, especially with the 46%. That's very bad. And the 6.3 is incredibly mediocre. Mm-hmm. I gotta say the 69% Rotten Tomatoes is very positive. That's just that's almost a 70% of critics uh, approve of the film.
1: Yeah, I've seen mostly everywhere that I've looked. Critics were relatively um, positive toward it when it came out, which is a bit surprising. So,
0: so yeah, and no surprise here. I guess this film didn't receive any major awards, whereas mm-hmm. last time, remember. Terminator 2 received six Oscar nominations and four wins. This was nowhere near the award ceremony. That's
1: right. But ILM did come back to do the special effects work for this. So I am a little bit surprised that it didn't get maybe a visual effects nod. Maybe it was on consideration or something like that. But I'm a little bit surprised that uh, because of ILM's involvement, that the Academy didn't go for Terminator 3.
0: I can see that. I can see... Because there are some very impressive practical effects. Yeah. In blended with CGI, I would say mostly the destructive effects, not necessarily the terminator of visual effects, aren't as groundbreaking as last film. Right. Now, I didn't notice the director is Jonathan Mustow, who I've seen one of his films actually. I've seen Surrogates with Bruce Willis. Hmm. I know I haven't seen that one.
1: I don't know if I've seen anything else from him. Look. No, I haven't seen anything else from him. In fact, this was... He hasn't done a movie. He looks (laughs) to be pretty sparse on films, now that I'm I'm looking at the list here. So, he's only directed 12, and a few of those are either a TV series or um, a documentary. So, yeah, I think this is the only one from him that I've seen.
0: Now, I've seen the poster for U571 a lot. Yeah, same When I was growing up in the video stores, we would go there and I would always see the cover. I'm like, that looks like a cool cover. But I never saw the movie. I had no idea what it was about. And I saw Surrogates in the theater with Bruce Willis. I thought it was a cool concept. I don't remember much of the movie, so I couldn't recommend it to you or not right now. I don't know. Just a weird choice going from James Cameron, whose career was going nowhere but up. And yep. then they're like, ah, Jonathan Mastow, we're going to give him the reins to one of the biggest beloved duologies of the time.
1: Right. Yeah, it is interesting. I wonder if maybe because of this new startup company, they were wanting to have a little bit more creative control over something like this. Uh, so instead of giving it to James Cameron, who, I mean, you wouldn't really want to say no to, um, they went with somebody else. Because I know James Cameron, I I mentioned this in the background info, I think. He was a bit wary on returning to the Terminator franchise after two, because he felt like two was like the perfect wrap up for it. Right. Um, so I, I know that that's at least part of it. So I wonder if they went with somebody that isn't super big into Hollywood yet. And so that way the uh, company or the production company could have more creative control over it.
0: Yeah, that's very possible. I did see Mario Cassar has returned as producer Mm. but none of the writers returned. We have Jonathan Brancato and Michael Ferris writing. Um, The only name that was familiar to me was Marco Beltrami did the score for this film.
1: That's right. Yeah, he has done a few more scores because I was looking at his name a little bit ago. He's done a lot more um, compositions that I'm uh, aware of, actually. I I looked at that name at the end, and I was like, ah, that looks so familiar. And then when I looked at his IMDb page, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense.
0: Some people probably are wondering, though, what was James Cameron doing at the time? Well, he was filming his deep underwater documentaries, and then he was also developing what would become the now second biggest film of all time, Avatar.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. I know that part of when he was when all of this was going around, uh, Titanic was also underway as well. Now, at this point, it had been completed. But when they were trying to figure out all of the licensing and copyright issues with Terminator, he was definitely in right in the thick of working on Titanic, which at the time when it came out until Avatar was the biggest, um, the most high, the highest grossing movie in the box office.
0: Well, Alan, we know who we know James Cameron's not coming back. We know that critics are still giving it pretty positive reviews. But we see the trailer on TV or we see the trailer before another movie at the cinema. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Is this trailer like, oh, my gosh, Terminator is back. I can't wait to see this movie. What do you think?
1: So I think I noted in the last two, I wasn't super excited for them. I think I was more excited for two than I was the first one. Uh, This trailer is very early 2000s, (laughs) and it kind of shows, even in the second one, you can kind of get little parts of that. But this is very early 2000s. But that aside, it is a relatively intriguing trailer, Um, albeit now that I've seen the movie, it gives away way too much. Um, So had I been, back in the day when this movie came out, paying attention and old enough to go see it, I suppose I would be somewhat interested
0: now, my 25-year-old perception of it is the trailer reveals major plot points, showcases nearly every action scene, and is deceptive in portraying the actual story. Yeah. Not to mention the frenetic, flashing editing is wildly obnoxious. So I hate the way the trailer is edited, and I hate how much they show us in the trailer. But to give you more accurate thoughts is when I was eight years old when this came out, I remember seeing the armies of Terminators on the TV and I thought it looked somewhat cool. I was interested, but I was also scared mm-hmm. of their look. they got those, they got those red eyes and there are these metal monsters kind of coming at you. So um, I was kind of not really wanting to see it in 2003. I remember not begging my parents to see it where it's, you know, other movies I, I was always begging to see before my time. Uh, except for this one, I still thought it looked cool. though. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I over the years, I got this movie on TV many times, but just bits and pieces. Um, it's one that was always playing on AMC constantly, but it being R uh-huh. R-rated film, wasn't allowed to watch it. The, do you remember, have you seen this one before?
1: No, this is the one I think oh, I've seen yeah. every other Terminator movie except for Dark Fate, of course. Um, except for this one, this one, I have not seen. I, like I said earlier, I haven't heard probably anything about it coming into it.
0: Yeah. I don't explicitly remember the first time I saw this movie. All I recall is being underwhelmed and thinking that was it. (laughs) So I can't tell you the first time I saw this movie. All I know is that eventually I got it in there once and I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. But who knows, maybe my thoughts have changed. It's been a very long time since I've seen it. I've got my SSG goggles on now. So who knows, maybe we're going to side with the critics and think it's awesome. But then again, maybe we'll side with the audience and say, "Meh, I don't know. But Alan, are we ready to give them the plot? I think so. All right, listeners, if you haven't. Seen Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and you don't want the film spoiled for you, then go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and watch the film. As of this recording, it is on Netflix. That's how I watched it. So if you haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out. Come back and click play here on the podcast, and we'll be ready to talk about it.
1: Ten years have passed since the events of T2. Judgment Day is coming and gone, and humanity still lives on. A now older John Connor, played by Nick Stahl, lives off the grid after the death of his mother, Sarah Connor. That is, until a new Terminator, played by Kristana Loken, known as the T-X, that has similar functionality to that of the T-1000. Although it can't shapeshift, it does have the added benefit of built-in weaponry and the ability to control other machines. The Arnold Terminator, known as the T-101, shows up once again with the same mission as before, to protect John Connor, but this time with a new player, Kate Brewster, played by Claire Danes. The TX goes on what looks to be a killing spree, murdering several innocent people. The T101 explains that the TX is killing anyone under John Connor's lead in the future. In an effort to protect John and Kate, Arnold drives them to Mexico before they realize that Kate's father is going to die once Skynet takes control, but they are too late. Skynet goes live and everything shuts down and Robert Brewster says that there is one last chance to destroy Skynet at its core. John and Kate escape to the core after crushing both terminators in the process. To their surprise, there is no Skynet Core. Robert sent them to the government fallout shelter to wait out the nuclear attack. When radio transmissions start coming in and John realizes why he is here, he takes control as the nuclear holocaust starts in credits role.
0: One of the first things that I noticed about this movie is the casting is different. We have a different John Connor. Edward Furlong is not back to reprise his role, from the previous film, even though this movie was made 12 years later, and Edward Furlong would have been a good age for this. I think he, uh, his life had some difficult issues and he just didn't really want to return to this franchise or the studio didn't, the filmmakers didn't want him back. I don't know, but regardless, we get Nick Stahl as John Connor and he comes across as a very different john connor than the one we saw as edward furlong i don't believe they would have grown into the same characters as what were presented here on screen nick Stahl is a relative unknown i would say to a majority of audiences at the time he was in the thin red line in the bedroom two major feature films i have seen him in sin city i guess i don't remember him in that Another thing he also starred in that is relevant to today is a 2011 adaption mm-hmm. of Lock and Key. Now, many of you may think, where have I heard that from? Well, it's a brand new Netflix TV series that just came out.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was wondering that same thing too, watching it before I did any research. I was wondering if, did they bring back the original, the guy, the kid who played John Connor in T2? But I had a feeling that, again, before looking it up, That it was that wasn't the case. And then obviously when I did look up who the actor was that I was confirmed that the uh, the actor who played John Connor in T2 did not return to his role here.
0: Also, Claire Danes is in this movie. Um, She's in Romeo plus Juliet, which I saw in high school and Les Mis, which I completely forgot she was in that movie with Liam Neeson and Jeffrey Rush. I've seen it multiple times. Um, she's mostly in romances and dramas. She was in the 1994 Little Women, which I just picked up actually at a thrift store on VHS for about 50 cents. And currently she's had success on the TV show Homefront, streaming exclusively on Showtime. I think Claire Danes was one of those actresses that everybody expected to be the next big thing because she did star opposite her co-star Leonardo DiCaprio in Romeo plus Juliet, and he has gone on to be one of the greatest uh, acclaimed actors of our generation. I think she really was going towards that area, and she never really made it. Another actress that I think of when I think of her is uh, Anna Paquin, who was nominated for Jane Campion's The Piano, and she did win the Oscar when she was very little. She was very young.
1: I see she was also in Portlandia, but I've only seen parts of the first season of that, so it looks like she was just in one episode pretty recently.
0: One of my first big positives about this movie is the big blow-up destruction scenes are very impressive because they look mostly real. It really does look like they are destroying a city block in Los Angeles, and they very well may have been likely. There's some CGI mixed in with that, but at the same time, It does come across as practical effects. It looks incredible the way they are able to achieve this blowout destruction. Uh, It looks like they really are destroying just the city or companies and whatnot. That really does engross me in that aspect of the film.
1: Yeah, I was too. I was impressed by how much, like how over the top this is too and how much destruction that there actually is. Because there's this this just giant crane just smashing straight through a building on a street. And it's ridiculous. Like, and th- that seems to be a lot of things about this movie is there are a lot of elements that are super over the top. And this is one of them. And I have to give praise to the Special effects here because you're right, this looks very convincing. Um, there are a couple of times where I was wondering, is, you know, this kind of looks like a miniature, but, in a general sense when it comes to the more practical effects it looks very very good and there are some cgi elements uh here that look pretty all right but for the early 2000s the way that they implement the cgi in some cases is rather convincing sometimes not convincing but in m- this kind of an action scene uh there are some cgi elements that i feel work rather well along with practical effects
0: the, yeah, I'm not as impressed with the CGI. Honestly, I'm more impressed with the CGI in Terminator 2 than I am here. It's the early 2000s. It looks fine. But I think where this movie really shines is its practical effects. Now, I think they can be too maybe grandiose or over the top when it comes to certain scenes. Like when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the TX Terminator are destroying each other in the bathroom just utterly demolishing that place it at some point it really becomes over the top and I'm like this it's honestly too much.
1: Right? Yeah, had they I'm I'm with you like the the scene where they're running through the city for the first I don't know five or so minutes like okay, this is pretty cool, but then it just kind of, you know, keeps going and keeps going and then like seemingly like never ends and it's fun for a while. But then, you know, it just keeps happening and it becomes just too much. And that this is a good example of it. The town destruction scene, the bathroom destruction scene is also another part, a good example of it where it's cool at first. But then, you know, after it goes on for a long time, it kind of gets tiresome. Like they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. And it does seemingly nothing to these characters. It's just there for audience enjoyment.
0: My other thing I liked about this movie was when John and Kate think they're going to take down Skynet at the Crystal Cove or whatever it was called at the bunker in the mountains. Mm. Um, they find out it's just this really old bunker that looked like it was created in the 50s or 60s. And this whole time, to- this is in order to preserve them from Judgment Day, where we can see Skynet launches all of the nukes, but they they are saved because they have to carry on the rest of humanity It's kind of this surprise, dark ending twist where they don't win, they lose. And they're, they're just stuck there and there's nothing they can do. I think just that has kind of a, kind of a somber impact as well. And I would say if anything, that ending where they're just kind of stuck there gets me wondering, okay, what's next? How are they going to lead the resistance after that? So I liked that end of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting, it is an interesting end, but I will go on the other side of the fence and say that I'm not too big of a fan of it. Um, I say this mostly because uh, there is a quote in the last movie where, you know, and this seems to be a quote for actually the two movies before this, where fate is what we decide. It's something that we write, right? The future hasn't been written yet is is what the quote is. Right. Those two movies seem to really follow that. But then when it gets to this movie, it says it at the beginning and then it's like, yeah, but I don't know about that. <laughs> and then at the end, it's like no matter what they do, they will end up at this moment regardless, which is it, it's an I guess it's just an interesting take for the movie to have considering the last two movies that we've already seen.
0: Yeah, that's one of my big negatives of the movie is this kind of inevitability of everything that disappoints me because I also feel like it undoes the plot of the previous film where what they achieve doesn't really matter and it kind of feels like this never-ending uh destructive nature where no matter what they do it's inevitable maybe that speaks to uh human nature will always seemingly destroy itself uh, find ways because they did find ways to carry on the creation of Skynet blowing Cyberdyne up didn't work. In some ways, I kind of think that's fascinating to explore. But as for a plot, it's not really satisfying to say that it's inevitable because then it undermines any suspense uh of this whole film.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it is kind of unfortunate that it kind of, like you said, undoes the events of Terminator two and Terminator One, where, you know, they seemingly stopped Judgment Day in the last one, but then come to find out, surprise, surprise, no, it's going to happen. You just delayed it. Um, it just it kind of makes the last two movies kind of feel like not important at all. And so when we get to this one where yeah, everything just seems to feel just inevitable, like it's going to happen no matter what. It just kind of feels like, okay, well then you know, what's the point in making a movie then when we know, where, where we know what the uh, ending is going to be, right? So, I would have liked, I guess, more surprises where maybe, I don't know, they seemingly destroy Sci- Skynet or something along those lines. I guess what I'm saying is they're setting this movie up for a sequel, right? It's very clear that they're setting this movie up for, I feel, a sequel. And so... I don't, I guess, like having a movie that feels like no matter what these characters do, they can't change anything. And they spend an hour and 45 minutes going through this entire, all these machinations until we get to the end and realize no matter what you did, you're going to get to this point regardless.
0: It does feel like they wrote themselves into a corner because in the second film they averted Judgment Day. And I think they want to get to that Judgment Day and get to the future. But Shoot, now we actually have to show everybody Judgment Day, I guess. Uh, I'll talk about that. No, I'll just say it right now. To me, this film feels like a prequel of sorts, where we clearly already know the outcome yep. because we've been shown the future so many stinking times. But we they keep having to go back and retread the same story over and over again of Skynet sending a Terminator back in time to try and stop them. And every time they stop the Terminator, but ultimately the Terminators and Skynet wins out in the end. So as I was saying, it feels like a prequel in the sense that we already know the full flesh story of the future. And it's like, but what if, what if we went back and we explored how all of these events occurred? It's kind of weird to say that this sequel does very well work like a prequel because in prequels, you don't really need to establish characters and they don't establish these characters very well at all
1: yeah yeah they really don't like we have the events of terminator 2 to build up john connor and that's really about it because uh the t101 even though it is arnold schwarzenegger everything from the last movie has been is erased so that's gone Kate has essentially is um, devoid of character and her pretty much her character trait is to cry and nag the whole time. <laughs> so these characters are just kind of annoying after a while because John is the only one that actually has, I feel like something to do. Kate is just, Kate just feels like an asset at this point. So I don't really see why her character is here or why she needs to be in this movie or have any kind of impact because... Ultimately, she doesn't really do a whole lot. She feels like not even a plot device. She's she feels like she's there um, for seemingly no reason.
0: Yeah, the chemistry, there is no chemistry between these two actors. Yeah. yeah, there really isn't. Well, and the other thing is Nick Stahl feels nothing like the Edward Furlong, John Connor. And they write in this really stupid, serendipitous plot point of the day before the events of Terminator 2. These two characters actually kissed in Mike Kripke's basement and it was their destiny all along to reconvene. And they're actually going to become husband and wife and carry on the resistance. Okay, who cares? I don't mind that these two are going to become husband and wife. I just don't like that there's no romantic attraction whatsoever. It's just forced completely. It's uh, all of this weird kind of fate seemingly determined by Skynet bringing them together. It just doesn't make sense. And I'm not on board with it.
1: Yeah. Again, with that thing where they what we said in the last two movies where, you know, fate is what you decide. They're taking that and they go, yeah, but let's not do that. Again, with the romantic attraction or romantic interest, um, it feels like, oh, they're going to get together no matter what. So whatever. It feels like this movie is a whole, you know, whatever. This is going to happen anyways. And it really pulls me out.
0: It does me too, because I have this very Calvinistic predestination feeling with this movie where there's no very you know, choice oriented destiny where it's everybody has a destiny, but it's up to you. Like how you'll shape your life. This is just saying all of this has been mostly predetermined. It feels very bleak and there's nothing you can do about it. I like that. They continue to fight in the face of impossibility. It seems like, but it's just hard to hard to get an audience behind a movie where it seems like these characters will, ultimately lose in the end but honestly i'm never clear because this movie seems to begin with the future and john connor and all of them have defeated skynet it seems like but then skynet sends back a new model the tx who just simply comes back to eliminate john's generals so he can't win the war um and that's where my biggest issue comes in with this movie is there's no point There's like no plot to this movie.
1: Yeah, the plot is really downplayed. It seems to be, uh, seems that the action is taking place of the of the plot here. Um, And I would, and it kind of, I guess, the best examples of this again are the town destruction scene and in the bathroom scene. They're really banking on these action scenes. It feels like, Uh, and the plot suffers because of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's mostly just gigantic, uh, over the top action scenes. And Mm. the plot is so dumb and I'm sorry, but it doesn't make any sense. I guess that after the events of Terminator 2, the continue of Skynet was the creation of Skynet was continued and then it was still growing and infecting other computers with viruses. I didn't get that part in the beginning of the movie.
1: Okay. So here's, here's what happens. Um, yeah, the development of Skynet continued um and then there were seemingly viruses on other machines and so they were thinking okay well we can just release skynet have skynet clean up everything and then we'll be good and it'll be able to pretty much control everything uh and we won't have to do a whole lot and so then they go okay fine and then they release skynet but it turns out the virus is what's actually skynet it was just waiting for The butt is waiting, I guess, for the access, the button to be pushed for it to go live and then take control of everything.
0: Hmm. It's really silly.
1: It does they don't really explain it very well. There's a lot of technical jargon uh, in a couple of these scenes that literally makes no sense um, being somebody who is trying to pick up what they're saying. So, yeah, it's the whole Skynet subplot in this movie is uh, like a lot of things rather weak.
0: I guess it's just hard for me to understand why the Terminators in the future keep sending back Terminators at different time periods because we saw them back to the future that in part two, they went back to the fifties and that was going to cause a huge issue. So it's like, why, if they failed the first time, why don't they just send them back to kill Linda Hamilton again? Unless that's not possible. The rules of this universe, considering time travel, are illogical. You can't understand any of it. And the plot of this movie is illogical. And dare I say, it's not enjoyable. It feels pointless. It feels like they brought this back just to make money.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really does feel like what's happening here. I do want to talk about the villain real quick because... We noted in Terminator Two that once you get about um, hour and a about hour hour and a half in, depending on what cut you're watching, the T1000 just disappears from the plot for about 45 minutes, um, and then he kind of comes back there at the end. I will argue that the Terminator in this one has more screen time, but is way more pointless than the T1000 in the previous one.
0: Yeah, the TX isn't memorable. She's not cool. There's really nothing notable about her, except this time she can make her hand into a flamethrower or a big like plasma gun or something. Yeah. And uh, her skin melting doesn't do anything cool like the other one. Yeah, to me, it's like, well, we did a smaller man in the last time. Why don't we do a woman this time? Doesn't right. work.
1: Yeah. I don't, like, I don't mind necessarily the gender of, uh, the terminators. They seem to be kind of genderless because we noted we've seen in the last one. And I think maybe even in this one, uh, they can, they just become the person that they are, you know, they physically touch. So once seen in the last one, he, the T-1000 does become John's, uh, adoptive mother, but that aside, um, there's a special ability that this terminator has that it can control relatively any machine right yeah that's true they don't do anything with that there is a really in my mind really funny scene during that town destruction part where a bunch of emergency vehicles are assumed control over the terminator and it becomes uh like maximum overdrive Mm -hmm. from stephen king Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a while um where you know they're just cars just on the mind of its own so it it's that ability just seems rather pointless. It's only to be there used the very end when um when Arnold the T one oh one uh is controlled, but even that has no point because it only lasts for about two seconds and nothing really comes of it. So I don't know. I feel like the abilities of the last Terminator in the last movie felt more like a step up. You know, it's like it is essentially this metal alloy that can shapeshift into practically anything that's pretty cool and this one it's a regular terminator but now it has weapons and can control machines that doesn't feel nearly as i guess a force to be reckoned with like in the last one
0: yeah you're you you hit it exactly right there it doesn't feel like a force to be reckoned with here because for the most part arnold can hold his own even though he's a very old obsolete model he can hold his own against the tx and it's kind of cool to see it controlling cars, although today that feels pretty cheap and just like, oh, yeah, it's just a remote controlled car. OK, yeah, we saw um, Doc Brown controlling the DeLorean with a remote in Back to the Future in 1985. I think it would have been much neater if she would have had remote control helicopters at the end when they're flying in the plane or something else would have happened there's just really no stakes in this movie, and the stakes are never defined because, like I said, it begins with the TX just assassinating the generals, but then she finds John Connor and she wants to kill him, while simultaneously Skynet is forcing its way to go online, and then it launches nukes and everybody's dead, and it all happens way too fast. I don't know. I think what other fans are going to be upset about and which I found a really shocking omission is Lyndall Hamilton doesn't return. She's been written out. She died of cancer, like right yeah. after uh, judgment day in 97, because she had to make sure that didn't happen. And she died surprise judgment day will happen in 2003. And I, I just really hate that. I just hate that they're like, she hung out until the end to make sure she, what she fought for paid paid off. And it didn't pay off.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, the reason why they did that too is because Linda Hamilton just did not want to come back after Terminator 2. Um, But it it does feel kind of forced to say, oh, she was there to the end. And then it didn't happen. Oh, but it's going to happen anyways.
0: (laughs) I got to say, this is the epitome of an early 2000s bad summer popcorn blockbuster in yeah. That's a preview of my final thoughts there. (laughs) Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines?
1: Terminator 3 has some pretty interesting action sequences that go on for way too long um, and then go from interesting to kind of excessive and kind of boring. And that's kind of what this movie is. And I guess in a general sense, it's excessive, way too excessive. To a point where it becomes boring, because they they bring in aspects that in theory should be rather interesting. The new Terminator can, although it can't shapeshift like in the last one, um, it can control the machines and has weapons built into its to its endoskeleton. They do nothing with that. John and there's a new character named Kate, whose father is going to be one of the main leaders of uh, of the of the future resistance. Um, but Kate has no development to her she's going to be John's wife but so what this movie utterly just feels pointless and when it comes to the to the aspect of uh, that their their destiny is something that they can't control like in the la- like what was brought up in the last movies it feels more like a slap to the face when you compare it to the other two Terminator movies because of that main theme of fate is what you write so, I don't, I, once again, I, I kind of in the last two movies, I haven't really cared too much for the Terminator franchise. And I feel like that's more solidified now more than ever. So at the end of the day, no, I'm not going to recommend Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Um, I don't think it's really, I think it is so far the worst Terminator movie that we've seen so far. So 4 out of 10, not recommend.
0: Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines is a mess does tout incredibly destructive action scenes that make you say, wow, but they don't stick with you like the ones in Terminator 2. And that's this movie in a nutshell. Where T2 was inventive, clever, and exciting, T3 is loud, sloppy, and pointless. Part of me wishes they could quit teasing us in each installment with the desolate future. John leads the resistance and they fight hordes of awesome-looking Terminator machines and just give us that movie. Despite this being the logical sequel, it, in fact, comes across very much like a prequel, where we're already well-established with these characters and their specific plight, therefore we don't need the setup. Well, instead we just get a fortuitous setup where everything quickly, and dare I say, cleanly happens. I found myself dozing in the second act, not simply because I was tired, but because the storytellers provided me with no reason to be invested in these new characters. Nick Stahl and Claire Danes have no chemistry, Arnold seems to be phoning it in, and the TX is a wannabe T-1000. Honestly, I'm just as confused as they are in this movie. I guess Judgment Day is happening despite it being averted? This is fatalistic inevitability, lack suspense, and enjoyment. I didn't have a good time while watching this movie. Thank goodness we're at least getting something fresh in the sequel. Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines receives four stars out of ten with a solid not recommend.
1: I'm interested to review next week's movie because I haven't seen it since the year it came out, which was 2009,
0: I think. Yeah, 2009. Yeah,
1: that was the I I saw when it first got released onto Blu-ray, and I haven't seen it since.
0: I watched it a ton when I first picked up the Blu-ray and I yeah. haven't really touched it since then. I have memories of plot details of action scenes. I have, mem- <laughs> I have memories so far of actually the next one being the best one. Okay. And people will tell you, people will tell you at the time it was the worst one, but honestly, I can't trust anyone else's opinion concerning these movies. Because clearly our opinion is wildly different from that of critics, which critics thought it was a pretty good movie. Another, yeah. And even the IMDb score says, you know, ah, it's okay. It's, it's kind of mediocre, but it's not that bad. No, right. it's bad. It's pointless. It's so, so many issues with this film. And it is absolutely the worst of the trilogy so far. I don't know why we're going to find out next week, but it did take them six years before Terminator Salvation was made, which did come out the 25th anniversary of the original film.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, it, the Terminator films, for whatever reason, tend to have this issue where they just won't release a sequel for a super long time. Mm-hmm. For various reasons, so I'm curious to see why what's going on with next week's review why that one took five ever to come out.
0: I'm very excited to return to it. I'm going to be watching the director's cut whenever there's a director's cut available. That's usually my preferred method of viewing. Mm -hmm. Um, If that's the director's vision, then that's the one I want to see. So the Blu Ray did come with theatrical and director's cut. I'm going to check out the director's cut, but if you didn't want to wait. Six years before a new Terminator property came to your screen, you didn't have to because the sci fi channel got two seasons of the four time Emmy nominated Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Uh, yeah, I have heard about this, which came out in 2008, and all uh, the whole series is now streaming free on IMDb TV. Mm. I tried to watch the first episode last night, I got halfway through and IMDb TV is very glitchy depending on which platform you're watching it on. On PS4 you can't rewind or else it will fast forward to oh. like the end and if you try and rewind it'll just keep playing ads. <laughs> so <laughs> interesting. It's completely messed up. Uh if you just pull it up on your phone it should work pretty well. Um, So from what I gathered from watching the very first episode, and hopefully by the time we record the next review, I will have seen a few more episodes. But from what I understand is it completely ignores Terminator 3. Lyndall Hamilton and John Connor are alive and well. And um, it picks up just I think a couple years after um, Cyberdyne was destroyed and Miles Dyson is dead. So they're talking about that. And one of my big issues was with this movie is, why in the world did the Terminators wait another 10 years to send a Terminator back in time? Like, why are they waiting like at these large intervals? Well, the film doesn't do that. Um, The Terminator is back trying to kill them and this, and there's a good female Terminator trying to protect them. I don't know where the rest of the show will go from there, but I'm pretty intrigued. It has some pretty weird 2008 editing. Uh, if you saw Tony Scott's Man on Fire, they basically ripped off whoever edited that movie. Huh. Uh, I don't know; it's weird, but just go with it. I'd say give it a shot because if, like us, you didn't like Terminator Three, then maybe the Sarah Connor Chronicles will f- like fill that void for you. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Well, Alan, thanks for joining me. Sure thing, listeners. We will be back next week with Terminator Salvation. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe, whether you're on YouTube, Apple, google or stitcher or your favorite podcast service and while you're at it please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast we love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you so don't forget to share with your friends and family and we'll see you next week listeners
1: They hurry to the military base that Kate's father is stationed at, but are too late. Skyrim, Skyrim, Skyrim.